Welcome, everyone. Um, my name is Steve Carpenetta. I am joined with Emily Connor. Yo. That was The Strokes with their song, New York City Cops, which I'm pretty sure they improved the performance of that the other night. I'm not sure they had rehearsed that. Um, I was at the rally in Durham, New Hampshire, uh, where The Strokes played. AOC appeared. Um, a bunch of other guests were there, too. Uh, but the Strokes uh, took the stage at the end. They played one old song and one new song, and they were kind of alternating back and forth, playing new material that they hadn't played anywhere else. They announced a new album release date, which is, I think, only like a month or two away, and they hadn't released that information anywhere else. Uh, and toward the end of their set, a couple barricades in the crowd had kind of started to move around, so there was a bit of an increased police presence uh, on the floor where kids had been crowd surfing and, you know, the smell of pot was super duper duper heavy in the air. I mean, they totally, <laughs> they turned the lights off. You know, as soon as basically Bernie and his family got off stage, they, they dipped the lights and the strokes started wailing and it, it had just fully switched vibes um, from a normal political rally with the bright lights cooking you to the darkness and the weed smoke permeating through the air. Um, it was rad. But right. then, the, then the, there was like, a bunch of cops that came out and so i'm not sure the, the exact order of the next chain of events but the uh the singer of the strokes julian uh casablancas uh was pointing to people in the crowd in the front row and, and waving them up onto the stage because these barricades had been pushed back to where they were kind of ineffective and so of course the stage started getting flooded with kids and then of course as a result of that the police kind of came up to try to pull some of the kids off stage and there was, there was not any violence at all. It was all playful, fun uh, movement of bodies and everything. But what was funny is I saw the singer move over to the drummer and uh, you know, whisper in his ear. And all of a sudden the next song they played was their song, New York city cops. And of course that was a headline <laughs> moment. And I saw the the press kind of ran with that, which was really cool. Um, but yeah, uh, we are catching up with y'all. Uh, it's been a week since we spoke last, which was in the wake of the uh, Iowa uh, shadow caucus and uh, now we are here to discuss <laughs> mainly the results of the uh, nation's first primary, which you can say because the caucus isn't a primary, uh, where Sanders was decisively victorious. Uh, I was there uh, knocking some doors with uh, a dozen or so of my comrades from the New York Progressive Action Network. Uh, we were working in the new, greater New Boston area, and we were out there for a handful of days leading up to the, uh, to the victory party and, and through it. Um, and it was really great. You know, it was typical uh, Bernie movement stuff, magic at every turn. And I was turn. experiencing extreme FOMO here in Iowa still. Oh, we we like traded roles because I had the FOMO when you were in Iowa and then <laughs> you had it when I'm in New Hampshire. And didn't you get like a really bad cold after Iowa? Like, weren't you I sick? got bronchitis. Oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I have something right now. I think it has something to do with like... Your body's like, okay, you, you've been in yeah, two states. Yeah, because the temperature change. Yeah, really a lot of germs. Like that. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, of doors, a lot of different Airbnbs and, and volunteer oh, yeah. housing and stuff. And then you, I finally got home and I think it all caught up to me. Uh, and the lack of yeah, sleep Yeah, it was pretty bad a few days ago. I felt really bad for um, my hosts who are uh, still hosting me here. And uh, I mean, I'm, I am down in the basement, so hopefully that did uh, ameliorate the, the sound. But yeah, I was coughing all night a couple nights ago. It was pretty bad. and uh, Yeah. Oh, uh, a couple, yeah, bottle, a couple bottles of decongestants and uh, sheer orneriness, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I think I, I pulled out of it. My voice is still a little bit <laughs> nice. deeper, and um, I can hear the nasal congestion a little bit. But uh, yeah, getting over it. I have a pretty rugged cool. constitution. I usually don't stay sick for too long. Nice. 
Yeah, I'm, if, and same with my voice, and I'm probably going to be a little sniffly tonight, so I apologize to everyone out there listening to us. Uh, this is okay. our first episode in the big leagues uh, where we're going to be releasing actually to the uh, as a podcast to the platforms here. You can now search us, Burn, B-E-R-N, after listening. I guess if you're listening, you probably already know how to spell that, but just in case you didn't, uh, look us up, subscribe, and we are grateful to have you here joining us for this discussion. Um, I, Emily, there have been a couple other developments in the race, aside from uh, the sort of New Hampshire um, you know, the New Hampshire victory. Uh, one of the things I guess I want to maybe lead with here is a, a discussion that uh, has been unfolding all day in the media and on Twitter and, and everywhere uh, about uh, Mike Bloomberg's um, seeming Oof. seeming propulsion to, uh, I guess, the top of a lot of uh, important Democrats' uh, mindsets. And, and he yeah. is, I mean, I've had really a, a weird grassroots effect. I had uh, someone I went to high school with, uh, Someone, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit more well-to-do, not incredibly wealthy person, but who lives in greater New York City now and uh, came out with the announcement this morning. Look, I know this is going to uh, offend people and I know we all have our different opinions. I think I know who you're talking about. You, you could. And, uh, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm hosting a, uh, an event for Bloomberg, I saw. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh. And I'm pretty sure this person supported a different candidate not too long ago, which mm-hmm. I was just so interested in that. Why the quick switch? Why the switch to Bloomberg? Uh, of all people who, uh, for folks who are listening at home, um, of course, Michael Bloomberg, former mayor of New York City, um, fell under a lot of criticism from leftist movements for his uh, support of, uh, in creation of, and encouragement of uh, not only the stop and frisk policy, but all these uh, uh, policies of, of uh, criminal justice that were enacted in New York City during his tenure, wherein uh, People of color and, and poor folks were sort of brutally abused and uh, stereotyped and profiled and many, many cases of uh, false arrests, imprisonment and general injustice uh, in the aura of Mr. Bloomberg's uh, mayorship. And aside from that, well, he's obviously very wealthy, invested very heavily in his own media company and, and, and other companies and um, has sort of this... Uh, ominous presence in the Democratic Party, where by the sheer force of his money, he seems to lurk in the shadows and pop out nefariously at different times and and stir things up. And I guess we're, uh, I mean, as someone who's relatively new to this, uh, I guess we are in that moment now where Bloomberg pops up. Um, I I don't know. What do you think, Emily? Your your ear has been on the ground all day as far as this goes. I've been, yeah, the the, the grapevine has has had some troubling... uh echoes sort of rattling along it. It's, it, it is really terrifying. You know, I think when Bloomberg first jumped into this race, in my mind, I was like, oh, another clueless billionaire who thinks his time has, has come, you know, what was the, what was the, the dork who runs Facebook, or, uh, Facebook, Starbucks, who was, I've already forgotten his name. A couple other people oh. like that, that kind of seemed to think they had, uh, that it was their, their time to shine. And, and, and I sort of wrote him off. I figured there's no way, you know, a, a billionaire that that whose record is that bad and who's this oblivious to sort of the moment that we're in, you know, has any potential. And then he yeah. started creeping up in the polls. Yes. And for all of the worst possible reasons. And that has really got me concerned. It's, yeah, you know, I think we're in so many ways, I think. I mean, there, there's a lot of ways in which this race is shaping up to have a very, um, almost poetic or possibly even apocalyptic flavor to it. You know, you've got on the one hand, you've got Bernie versus Trump and you have a, you know, the son of a, a poor Jewish immigrant who was fleeing Nazism 
um, and, you know, who, who grew up and uh, basically worked his way up by the, the, you know, just sheer grit, you know, and, and facing off against this billionaire who was handed wealth, you know, this, this, this white supremacist who stands for basically everything Bernie's fought against his whole life. So that's, that's, that's that. But then on the other hand, in Mike Bloomberg, we have the consummate example of the alarming realities of what it looks like when money is allowed to flow into our politics uninhibited. And it's, it's what Bernie has been trying to call out against for a long time now. And the democratic party, it has to be said, has taken up this position of, eh, that's how things are done. We really don't care. We're fine with it. And and you're weird. If you, if you try to imply that, 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 that that's inherently corruptive. And yes. And here we have this, this billionaire with frankly a record so bad, it begs the question of would this man even be an improvement on Donald Trump in any demonstrable way? Yes. And yet he's rising in the polls simply because he is dumping buckets of money into this race in every conceivable fashion. It's not just, you know, paying off, uh, you know, or it's not just some ad buys here and there. He's, I was looking over a thread. I'm going to pull it up actually now that I think of it. Um, because yeah. it was really informative, a thread that my friend um, Robin shared on Facebook. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, I know well, he's, I mean, she he's... pulled it from Twitter, but it was cool. it's, it's very, very, let's see here. So it's kind of a, a good way to run through it. Yeah. Um, he's, so this guy's a journalist. He's at Blake Zeff on Twitter. Basically, so he starts out yeah. with endorsements, basically. Bloomberg was a GOP mayor. And he was a Rudy Giuliani ally, uh, ally. and he obviously, as you went into, he, you know, um, the role he played in uh, stop and frisk um, is obviously pretty damning. And then he spent millions of dollars to elect Republicans, um, both at like the federal level and at, you know, down, down ticket uh, races. He supported both Bushes, I believe, um, uh, some representatives in some states. I mean, he's just, he's dumped money everywhere. He's, Oh, he spent 110 million total in 2018 to boost 24 candidates now in Congress. That is a lot of influence for one oh, yeah. person, and that influence yeah. doesn't just you know it doesn't just last one election cycle. That you know he basically owns a substantial amount of Congress who are going to turn around and say, "Well, I guess we do owe you a favor, don't we?" Yeah. And so that so there's that. There's the fact that there are these fake astroturf quote unquote community groups that back his candidacy. Um, because of things like, uh, the time he reversed a voter referendum on term limits uh, and made a backroom deal to help himself get a third term. Mm. Um, there's, let's see here. He gave 1 million to a state Senate, uh, GOP candidate. Um, he's, let's see. So he's holding events in various states and getting huge crowds. And I'm sure they were inspired by, uh, his, incredible compelling message but probably didn't hurt that they were elaborately catered free wine yeah. you know he's literally winding and dining these crowds yep. there's staff and this one is really worrying me um he's poaching right now campaign workers everywhere he possibly can he's offering huge salaries nobody else can compete with massive yeah. perks um he has obviously so much money he can hire more staff than all his opponents combined while most grassroots yep. campaigns are, are having to pay workers, you know, eighteen dollars an hour checks, et cetera. Nope. Apparently nope. his campaign staff are getting a MacBook Pro and an iPhone eleven on their first day. 
Okay. Uh, three I, catered that note, I have to go. Sorry, I'm leaving. I quit. I am not doing the Bernie thing anymore. <laughs> I am now Team Mike. I'm going to get my I, my MacBook. No, sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm I'm rude. I was just kidding, but I would never fucking do that. And no one with a heart should do that. And if I hear that anyone, well, I know actually, I'm encouraging that, I'm people to disappointed. do that. You oh, heard yeah? it well, here. You heard it. You heard I mean, it like, here first, folks. Uh, Praxis is actually yes. Um, get hired. Do whatever you have to do to get hired by the Bloomberg campaign. Fake your resume. Get in there. And then I want you to do everything in your power to dismantle this campaign from the inside out. I want you to publish all of their secure documents. I want you to, you know, misdirect anything you can. Hold out as long as you can. Have the most fun ever getting fired. And then you take that check, donate a bunch of it to some really good progressive causes. And yeah, I just, I encourage everyone to do that. Yep. Uh, I mean, uh, well, as a joke, of course, this is for, yeah. for legal purposes. This is a joke what I'm saying right now. It would and be terrible my, if anybody did that. In fact, of course, and my and my response, of course, a joke uh, is that I'm going to do that. And next week I'll catch you guys up on how I definitely haven't gained access to their to their shared Google drives and, and definitely haven't uh, done anything else mischievous with their data or thrown any physical or figurative wrenches into any physical or figurative gearworks. Or use their network to distribute Marxist propaganda or occupied the office and turned it into a Bernie Field office or uh, appropriated company vehicles or any of that. All of which would be disastrous, of course. Everyone, here, take free DSA agitprop, please, (laughs) in the form of a Kit Kat. (laughs) So Bloomberg is, yeah, he's trash. He's like- Well, well, I mean, think about this here. Yeah. What what this means is, you know- and, and and we haven't even gotten to the ad buys. We haven't even gotten to you know the 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 deals he's cutting behind do- you know closed doors. He's trying to pay influencers to say nice things about him. He's trying to hire people to make memes about him because obviously that kind of thing isn't going to just manifest spontaneously like it did for Bernie. Uh, yeah. The never ending ads that are saturating the airwaves. I mean, this is why his numbers are going up. There's no other reason for it. It's not like right. everyone just found out overnight what a wonderful person he's always been, what an incredible public servant. It's just these right. nonstop ads, and they're good ads. They're professional, yeah. effective ads, and they are mm-hmm. having a terrifying amount of influence on the yes. polls, and nobody can correct him. And it's, it, it is honestly terrible. We're, we're finally seeing the kind of the, the full weight and muscle of what it looks like when unlimited money is married to intelligence and zero ethics and unleashed on yeah and unleashed on an electorate that does not have the time or the privilege to be able to be as you know um micro focused on everything going on in politics and they simply are and this is why by the way i don't know if you've noticed on social media recently but the whole we just have to stop trump thing has ratcheted up to an unprecedented level and that's because that's his literal only argument i can beat trump because i'm a billionaire too right even joy reed is on you know msnbc saying well if we want to beat a republican maybe we need someone who <laughs> is a republican acts like one. more or less yeah. yep. i mean he yep. was yeah 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 oh totally yeah i've seen i've seen these bizarre arguments for him um to me it's it's crazy uh, that we the democratic party are looking at trying to quote unquote run our own billionaire i mean that just makes no sense to me it, it's kind of no. it, it make for a great you know a very like post apocalyptic movie script where wherein these two billionaire idiots have consecutively run the government and, and crashed us into some kind of 
I don't even really want to imagine it, but it just seems like yeah. bizarrely symbolic that uh, the Democrats' response to this situation would be to somehow uh, think they're going to make it better by exacerbating it by throwing more of the same fuel onto the fire that that we see uh, in, mm-hmm. in D.C. right now in the executive branch. Um, it's crazy. And, and I got an email actually a while back, a few weeks ago from a colleague who's a very well-connected lawyer in New York City and like is like you know, a Democratic uh, district leader and knows the things that the parties are kind of doing, has has a bit of a pulse on the party and yeah. said, you know, Bloomberg is watch out. Like literally yeah. they are losing faith in everyone else. No uh-huh. one else is doing it. They think Bloomberg has his own money. He comes with that. He comes with a name that people recognize for better or worse, and yeah. he comes with uh, a little bit more wherewithal than Biden. And um, mm-hmm. you know, just he seems like the uh, could be the the pony that the uh, party the is horse. trying to, yeah, the dark horse, yeah. the dog faced lion, uh, dark horse <laughs> soldier <clears throat> that could really come in at this moment and save the party from implosion. I, I would love to save the party from Bernie Sanders. Yeah, yeah. Right. I said I said Bernie Sanders awful funny when I said the word implosion, because I think that's what they think is that I said the quiet part out loud. <laughs> I think that that's what they think we're here to do. The party, of course. Um, yeah. Crazy. We bring them something. I, I, I can't even describe the uh, the ungratefulness that the party has and their total imprudence. Well, I, they have the masks are falling people. away and their their actual you know allegiances are are being revealed. Because when it comes down to it, they are happy to install someone every bit as corrupt and with just as checkered a, a life as, as Donald Trump if it means stopping the progressive wing of the party. Right. And Which, they don't have a as a means to preserve their own power, of course. Because I mean, you know, we've been saying is- for four years that they really don't care if Donald Trump stays in power as long as it wasn't Bernie. And I think right. in Michael Bloomberg, we have proof of that. We have a version of Trump who is, for whatever reason, willing to wear a, a D at the moment. And yeah. they are more than happy to promote him and to push for him at the expense of literally the only people bringing any energy or any life to the party right now, which is, you know, it, it, it who, really who does make you think of like more... the oil execs that really don't care about climate change because they're not going to live for much longer anyway. And they'd rather just uh, enjoy their last few years in, in luxury and, and you know, yeah. go fuck the rest of the planet. Yeah, this I mean, this poker hand between the progressives and the Democratic Party has just gotten wild. Like uh, yeah. we're all doubled down like 15 times over. We've bet the farm like we're in the we've bet yeah. everything the clothes off our backs because oh, yeah. we just seem to be not coming together. And I hate to say this and be a purveyor of divisive language, but it just seems as if the party is just slamming the needle away from what the masses in the in the party want to see. I mean, we have two Democratic primaries up, two, a caucus and a primary, two down. We have decisive popular vote victories for Sanders. We got 6K mm-hmm. in Iowa. We've got 4K in New Hampshire. The people of the party are speaking loudly and clearly. And mm-hmm. they're saying that they're with the guy who takes the small donations and doesn't take the big ones. They're with the guy who wants to bring the change to the party and, and the message of hope for the future. Um, but what does the Democratic Party establishment and the party elites do? They they literally just keep betting they push on their his own polar hand. opposite. 
and and right the further they seem to be able to get i mean it started with the it started in 2017 18 with the dnc rules commission um where we got really super watered down versions of things that were given like supposed to be givens uh when when there was chaos unfolding at the convention and and through the you know the new york democratic party here fighting us wanting to change voter registration deadlines to something a little bit more sensible to increase membership in the party well you know, yeah. big surprise. Sometimes and most times to these people, it's not about party membership. It's about power. It's about money. And it's about controlling it uh, the narrative wherein these two corporate parties, the Democratic and Republican Party in the United States of America, are propped up by money. And that's the only way they can exist. And that's their only interest for self-preservation is to coalesce around the rich, to mm-hmm. fulfill their agendas, and to keep them happy as their sponsors um we are we are in a plutocracy uh it is very Very sad and 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 the the one chance that the democratic party has to grab the reins of something truly powerful and they they spit in our faces continually and 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 any kind of support of bloomberg is going to is going to magnify this issue and i've already seen the takes on twitter and around the bernie internet um folks who maybe weren't ready to take it to the streets if there was some kind of issue when when the democratic uh, chosen one was biden or, or somebody or you know yeah. now with bloomberg being floated things are i guess seeming to get much more serious in the leftist circles yeah. that i'm observing uh, i, I don't think know what we're heading into an incredibly polarizing um election i think i don't know there there have been a lot of elections where the uh what was at stake was a little blurred, a little hard to see. It was easy to, to muddy, um, the issues and, and yeah. uh, what was actually going, it was easy to you dismiss people's, um, people who are raising the alarm say, Oh, you know, you're being, that's, that's overreacting. You're being dramatic. Not anymore. Um, it's, it's getting to the point where we, you know, everything is becoming very clear and it is shaping up into a race that is above all else, a race between the people and the billionaire class. As much as the Democratic yes. Party wants to dismiss Bernie for using the language of class warfare, that is literally what we are looking at. Of and of course, I mean, and that, and that it's been the case for a while, but it was easier mm-hmm. for the Democrats, I think, to um, dismiss that as just, you know, flowery rhetoric. You know, we don't need yeah. that revolutionary talk. You know, we have a democracy. We just have to make it a little bit better. We really yep. don't. When, when someone like Mike Bloomberg I mean, let's just put it this way. Three months ago, polls found Mike Bloomberg, quote, widely disliked with the highest negatives in the race. Considering how many people were in the race, that's saying a lot. Now, three months later, he is a top three contender for the Democratic nomination. That is literally just sheer money. He bought that with his money. and. That's that should terrify anyone who actually gives a crap about democracy far more than the alleged Russian hackers in some basement and yeah, who knows? You know, this is yeah. an actual. I mean, wh- why are you afraid of that? Why are you afraid of that when an actual American who everyone knows is doing this right in front of our eyes? Yeah, and no right. one is stopping it, and no one is calling it out except the guy who. And, and it's it's going to come down to this. It's going to come down to the guy who has been trying to warn us that this would yeah. happen this that this was dangerous device of communist yep yeah the device of communist it's going to come down to him versus the billionaire um yeah. 
and everything else is going to fall away and people are rapidly going to have to choose which side they're on. Man, this is going to make for a sick fucking comic book. Yeah, mm. if if we oh. survive, I suppose. Yeah, yeah right. Like, I guess right, right, right. If we survive, live, and actually have a society, yeah, it after will this, make for a uh, sick comic book. But it will make for a sick um, historical comic book. Sick movie. Um, <laughs> who's gonna yeah, play this you? Is, who's gonna play me? Oh, uh, me. Yeah, I don't know. Um, You're gonna be in it. Who would play you? Okay, if I if I have to pick one, you do too. Um, I'm gonna go with um, either Aubrey Plaza or. Uh, I can't think of her name. Oh, chick with the she, she had like a shaved side for a while, kind of unusual mm, looking. I think it starts with I'm an so N. Bad at I can't think I'm of so it. bad at naming celebrities. Ellie sure Dormer, I think, is her name. Oh, nice. Okay, I like that one. Either yeah. her or Aubrey Plaza. I'm, I'm, I, mean, I can't make up my mind. All right, who's playing you? Nice. Oh God, I don't know. I mean, I want somebody like <laughs> way hotter than me to play me, so I seem hotter by comparison. <laughs> so like maybe like uh, like I don't know, Jake Gyllenhaal or something, or Gyllenhaal, however you pronounce that. He's he's a good. How old dude. is he? I don't know. They might have to. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I loved him in that movie, uh, Night Nightcrawler or whatever. Did you see that? I don't think so. Oh God, we'll talk offline about it. It was cool, but yeah, <laughs> okay. him. I think he him. It would be yeah. him or something. Yeah, but but it would make for a cool movie because uh, you know my joke there was it's just getting really symbolic. You know, like we've got it the is. the working class guy, uh, the relatively you know poor guy who's been uh, just plainly the only defense that that many poor, disadvantaged, dis, dis uh, seriously enchanted folks have had for decades and decades and decades in Washington D.C. against mm-hmm. a, an absolute billionaire who has just had some absolute scumbag policies um and is propped up by this just corrupt awful dnc machine i mean oof like and it's not just and i want to make it clear it's not just scumbag policies and those are bad enough just on the stop and frisk business alone the fact that he it's he doesn't even have the kind of record where he could turn around and try and pull a joe biden and be like well i didn't realize that that was racist to do but i know it now no he deliberately targeted Black and brown communities. They had quotas yeah. that they were supposed to fill of black and Latino kids. Yep. This and is when they complained that they couldn't. This was he said. Yeah. He, he said, "Well, you can just take the description of the uh, perp and Jesus. just Xerox it. And just go out and hit the street. Literally. I mean, I mean th- there's th- no there's no defense for this. There's no. absolutely no plausible deniability here. He knew what he was doing and he did it anyway. But it's not even just that. The man." Do you remember that thing that happened when he unleashed the New York uh, Police Department? Um, I'm blanking on some of the particulars, but it was ba- it was a situation of like total chaos, and he took advantage of it and basically just went complete dictator. And sure. it was illegal, and but nobody was going to stop him. And and yeah. it's kind of terrifying when you realize if you have someone like that in power, you don't actually yeah. have a prayer of saving yourself because the law can't help you. No, when I mean, when people right. in positions of power consider themselves to be above the law, and they will just unleash the fucking cops on you. Yeah, and and let's let's be clear here. And when you say "quote unquote" the cops, isn't the NYPD like the fifth largest army in the world, or some shit like that? Uh, pretty sure, like the NY. I think it's like the NYP. I don't know. You know, it's like the USA, yeah. and then like maybe like a dozen or like half. But a it's dozen just other it's a, it's terrifying then, when you realize how thin the. I don't know, the barrier is between, you know, the safety that you're used to assuming you have and the fact that they're like, like, it's like we could be in a situation where it's like, well, there is no God, there is no law. Powerful people will literally just crack your head and there's nothing you can do about it. 
which obviously right. is the reality that the, the the black and brown communities face um, mm-hmm. constantly living under scumbags like Mike Bloomberg. Um, yes. But I think the rest of the world is in for a rude awakening if somebody like that um, ascends to power. He's got, yeah. inc- I mean, we, everyone wants to act like Trump's the only one with authoritarian tendencies. That is far from the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if we could get public advocate Jumani Williams on this on the sh- next episode of the show to give us a oh, recap. I, I, that'd be amazing. Uh, he, he um, of course, an IPAN founding member, uh, former Bernie delegate, current Bernie endorser, uh, representative of Black and Brown communities across New York City, overwhelming mm-hmm. victor in in every citywide contest he's ever entered, uh, and, and and personally dedicated an incredible amount of his time. Uh, as an activist when he came onto the political scene and, and in his time representing Brooklyn, Brooklyn's 45th uh, city council district, the most outspoken opponent of the stop and frisk policy who was arrested on multiple uh, occasions and not only fought to have stop and frisk reversed successfully, but fought to replace it with programs which placed black and brown uh, young people into careers and uh, sort of worked a, a reparations program uh, in these communities that were most adversely affected by this policy. Anyway, I would love to reach out to uh, the public advocate's office and see if we could get your money to come on. Um, awesome dude. That would be Great incredible. I, I love the guy. You know, he's been, yeah. uh, I don't want to say a friend, but somebody that I've met professionally, you know, a dozen or more times and oh, we've yeah. had uh, several he's... chats. I sort of worked for his uh, campaign when he was running for lieutenant governor. Um, mm-hmm. He was actually a little funny side story. He was in Ithaca, uh, speaking at the Southside Community Center in Ithaca, New York, on a statewide tour of upstate that my, myself and my friend Emily Adams were were his contacts at our stop. And uh, he was there. He was speaking to the bunch of cl- kids. The bunch of kids got out of class and came over to meet Jumani. And I mean, that's just a moment right there. He's such a real dude. He's like a Bernie Sanders type. Like, people love him. He's funny. He's yeah. cool. People just actually like the guy in the room with him. Um, and I'm out front, like panicking over some minor detail that's gone wrong at the at the event and a guy with a huge camera bag comes up and says yeah is this uh the event i said yeah who are you oh i'm so-and-so with the new york times and i was like what is he joking i was like okay uh come on in and he said you know is uh is is councilman williams um here i i'm gonna need to to meet with him and i was like oh no he got endorsed by the New York Times, and that's what it was. They were there to take the they were there to take the advance photos of him. So the New York oh, Times nice. endorsement photo of Jumani is actually in a small community room in the Southside Community Center in Ithaca, New York, which no one would suspect. Um, but super cool. The guy's amazing. I mean, I, I love Jumani. Uh, his girlfriend is absolutely amazing too. India, his whole crew, his campaign manager, Trip, um, all all the folks, you know, William, all these great people that I know from his campaign. Just it's a real movement vibe in his office as well. I just. Just love him. So yeah, we'll try to get him on the show to to kind of talk about that element. Oh yeah, like I mean, even out all the way in uh, Austin, Texas. Um, but I had I had friends uh, from from New York or in the the vicinity, so he was on my radar. And uh, yeah, everything about him, I was like, wow, this dude sounds like a badass. Yeah. Oh, you would love him. He's just the realest dude. Yep. You guys would, I think, would really get along. Uh, if I, yeah, if I know anything about either of you, I think you'd be fast friends. So yeah, we'll try to get him on the show. I'll reach out, uh, see if I can make contact with his people. Um, it's funny, you know, he's in such a high profile office now as New York City's public advocate. Uh, you know, when I met him, he was just a very, very popular city councilman and very, and then he became a very, very close contender in New York for our lieutenant governorship. Um, and now, yeah, he's the city's public advocate. One of the probably Incredible. most popular elective officials in New York City. 
See, stuff so, like yeah, that he, gives me hope, you know, because you, you get the, this general feeling of like, is it even possible for anyone that's passionate and principled and uncorrupted? Yeah. Um, is it even possible for them to win anymore? And we have these occasional, you know, little spots of light like AOC and people like that. And, and they do yep. seem to be able to, to break into that system that is just constructed to keep people like that out. But yeah, that it is it's funny uh, that it's happening in New York too. Cause we're like the big right. corrupt wall street state right. and, and you just met. I mean, we've got Jumani Williams, absolute star AOC. I mean, the spine, the heart, the soul, the spirit of AOC. I mean, this woman is everything. Like I, I saw her the other yeah. night at the rally and oh, I was she's like, an, she's the, a like, light. The, she's, she's like a she's comet. So, she literally shines. I was, I was tucked yeah. uh, at the, like at the tunnel where, you know, the, the, everyone mm -hmm. was coming in and out and, and when AOC came out, I mean, I never saw the front row of a group of college kids light up the way that they did when yeah. she came out. I mean, I saw I, I knew that she was there, not because I had looked to my right where she was standing four feet away from mm -hmm. me, but rather because across the arena, I saw the absolute flabbergast, astonished look of all <laughs> these college kids who were like, oh, my God, it's AOC. She's yeah, unbelievable. I, I could and, hear the crowd chanting for. Yeah, yeah there was a definite AOC chant. Oh, and you know what I wanted? To, I, I wanted to say one thing, one other highlight of my trip, and I, I didn't want to interject this earlier, but you said something about the party, um, you know, clinging to these old lines or something or clinging to the old ways. And it just reminded me of Mayor Pete's quoting Mike Bloomberg, who there's a little nice thing, how at the oh SMHU my God, arena, that happened at the Shaheen uh, dinner, the 100 dinner, which is this thing in New Hampshire that happens just before the primary when the Democratic Party throws it. Uh, yeah, that was what that was what cued, I believe, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was a Mike Bloomberg theme. Uh, the whole Pete comment about we need evolution, not revolution, and that was when the crowd, these bunch of crazy, I knew the crowd booed guy. him when he when well, he dissed revolution, but I didn't know Wall it was related Pete. to Bloomberg. I thought it was, and I could be wrong. Forgive me because I see a lot Jesus. of shit on the internet, but I could have swore it was something that Bloomberg had said, and maybe oh it was a, a Twitter take that was incorrect that I that I saw. But wouldn't that be funny if it did work out that that was true? Of course, it. Well, that video gave me gave me life, man. I mean, oh, it's it's, you it's terrifying watching people warm to Pete's, you know, brand of whatever you want to call it. This bullshit. Just, this yeah, well, bullshit. Yeah, this just meaningless. I mean, literally empty words, empty of any substance whatsoever. But they're words yeah. that people are you know, are socialized to think. Oh, people who talk <laughs> like that must be smart and educated and and know what they're and talking about. And it's like, me. yeah. Yeah, 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 and it, and you listen to it, and you just your your soul just dies a little bit inside, thinking that there that there are people that buy this, that they they listen to that, and they're responding to mm -hmm. it. Yeah, not that's, New Hampshire, that, baby. Yeah, that deflates my faith in humanity a little bit. Yeah, yeah, thank I, God uh, for New Hampshire. You know, I saw something kind of interesting, and I would have to pull up the actual tweet. Now, I have not personally substantiated this or looked into it at all. Um, but I, someone brought a tweet to my attention and the, the person tweeting said that, um, the exit polling in New Hampshire in areas where, now I thought all of New Hampshire was paper ballots and, um, being can't counted by hand, apparently not in areas where that was the case, the results basically matched up with what the polling showed. Uh, with Bernie yeah. comfortably in the lead by four to six points. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the uh, exit polling in the um, 
areas where they were fed into the machines differed from yep. the results. Sure. And yep. I mean, you know, I don't want to throw, you know, a, a, a bomb out there, but it's like, I think a lot of us watching those results came in, especially the way they suddenly shifted and that gap narrowed uh, yes. from what it was when they first started coming in. I think a lot yes. of us kind of thought, oh no, not this again. Um, because we saw stuff like this happening all over the place in 2016. We saw, yeah. I mean, hell, there were there were occasions where votes got mysteriously disappeared or added yep. in the blink of an eye. Some sometimes or, people or caught it on multiple rolls with 200,000 people in Brooklyn just oh, disqualified. Well, yeah, that's a whole other whole other sure. thing, obviously. Sure, sure, but sure, sure. but even just watching the results come in live, there was an instance where we caught it on across several different Sources, I think someone had The Guardian up, a New York Times couple, and they they got the screen grabs where votes yep. that had already been counted and logged for Bernie Sanders suddenly disappeared. Yep. And so obviously we all are kind of a little bit uh, jumpy about that sort of thing. And so it yeah. does not fill me with confidence knowing that that's possible. Yeah. Um, you know, far from uh, confirmed, but it would explain why. Because it doesn't make sense that Pete would have outperformed his polling. Right. Not when you consider the demographics where he did well, because that pretty yes. much lines up with who is sampled when those landline polls are done. Yeah. So he, he came that, up high, I know, day after on folks who had, uh, quote unquote, decided day of, which generally means, you know, particularly mm -hmm. non-sophisticates or folks who, who jumped ship. And I think what we see in these early states, and, and maybe you can speak to this as someone who canvassed in Iowa is... Uh, folks who know that they're sort of at the forefront and that they are the attention of the nation and that, you know, there's this time every four years where folks come to town and really put on a show for them and lay it on mm -hmm. the red carpet and come to their door and hand them literature and really, really want to convince them of things, um, that these voters are sort of uh, sometimes late deciders because they may not be too, too mm -hmm. morally invested in their choice, but it's still a novelty to them and they're still going to make it. So you still get and a lot of And especially in a race with this many candidates. Oh, sure. There's so no, many choices. It's asking you know. a lot of the average voter anyway in a normal election with only a few choices for them to really put the effort and the time into investigating these candidates. And, right. Yeah, exactly. But with yep. so many candidates in the race and you know, such a confusing, constantly shifting uh, race as it's been. Um, and, and and I think Pete, the constantly shifting candidate, kind of <laughs> morally does benefit from a voter market yeah. that is constantly shifting to the last minute. And the numbers certainly showed that. So I think he, he did yeah. perform well there. Um, as far as, oof, I have to say, as far as having been on the ground, I, I – I would give anything to have had you with me at the uh, at that Shaheen dinner. I had no yeah. idea I was going to New Hampshire and I was going to take in one of these little mini DNC events where all the candidates are there, all their staff is there, all the big super fans are there. And yeah. you're sort of walking the hallways of high school, so to speak, with uh, all these different camps and just observing <laughs> everybody. And you're taking yeah. away these generalizations about people and, and what their supporters look like and what age they are and how they're dressed. and. Oh man, the Pete crowd was just either you were, there was two very clear forms of the Pete fan. There was the uniformed attendee waiting for orders from on high about what was next. And then there were just an awful lot of folks in suits, guys in suits, very well dressed, slick. Remind me of Andrew Cuomo's staff, good looking suits, real good shoes, nice, good, shiny oh, yeah. shoes, just kind of uh, nobody there for Biden really at all. No human beings, a couple, but they just seemed <laughs> like they were just being coerced. Like there was an invisible person at gunpoint, like holding them at gunpoint. Um, the Warren crew was there and they just all seemed so 
snobby. Um, but anyway, what got me here was the fact that that little, uh, that microcosm of seeing all the camps in one room and, 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 uh, you know, you said it gave you life to hear those chants, uh, the, the wall street Pete and shit dude in the room. I mean, I was okay. Let's be honest. Uh, I, I did have some beer. Uh, my friend Deb Lynch, who's like the star <laughs> of the newest Bernie Sanders Instagram campaign video. She's like shedding a tear. She and I were standing next to each other at the victory party. And I mean, this woman has given everything for Bernie. She is just an absolute legend, legend hero. Um, she uh, she insisted that we have a beer. I said, Deb, the beer, they're $13 for a big Bud Light. I just can't pay that. Like, I can't do it. I just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink Them it. some DNC prices. Uh, that's exactly right. And, and so she, you know, she walks back from the, from the merch, uh, the, the concessions to a big surprise, every, bought a beer for everybody. So I drink the one I'm talking to some folks from the Bernie advance team. We're kind of sitting there just goofing off, like making fun of the, you know, the various dorks around. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to have a second one. So I go grab a second one and I walk in and it was just in time to hear the beginning of Pete's talk. And it was so crazy how, the crowd, the Bernie side erupted at this guy. And what was cool is we had boiled down all the, all the uh, major flagship issues of the campaign into three syllable champs, like, you know, the classic Medicare for all and the classic green new deal. And then of course, the ever wonderful number one hit in my mind, wall street Pete. Um, And then, and then at the, the victory rally, we were doing Bernie beach Trump. There's just all these Mm -hmm. nice little three syllable bangers that folks have adapted. Yeah. Not me us. Thank you. Yes. There's so many good ones. Um, But to hear him do that to Pete, God, it was just, that was the best five days of my life. No question. Um, I mean, I got to, it's like heaven for me. Like that's a vacation for me being in an arena with a bunch of other political dorks and a ton of them are like Bernie freaks who are just Mm -hmm. working people. Too, 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 too lit. I made friends with uh, this young lady, uh, Sarah Shaw from the advance team. Uh, We were talking and she needed to get a ton of drumsticks and noisemakers into the crowd because we had a plan since Bernie spoke last since he's the the big draw or well, he spoke at, at the prime time of 9:30 like at the peak attendance time where the best band would play um so right after Warren his his i guess most hype opening act in their eyes and we got all these noisemakers out and it was me and my three or four friends with boxes of cowbells and drumsticks just quietly <laughs> moving among the crowd saying don't make noise until you see Bernie and we got everything out and then Bernie came out oh and that God, place just it. changed from this stupid, boring, fucking Democratic Party event to, again, rock concert feel. Electricity. Y'all brought the party. With a knife in the fucking air and the literal ding-a-ling-ling of the cowbells and the drumsticks and the noisemakers. It was just too, 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 too lit. Too awesome. I mean, nice. I crashed the Pete uh, table because I wanted a cup. I was like, look, guys, I'm supporting Bernie. I love Bernie. I'm going to be a delegate for Bernie, but can I get a Pete cup? Because they had these little Pete cups, you know, they definitely had the, a cool table. Just and, a cup? You know, just it was a cup, but it had like his logo, like monogrammed on it, like a little plastic cup. They like bands do them. Like you, you can get them at like a lot of rock shows. So very good. Good on right. you, Pete's team. It was really cool. And they had like the selfie machine and the two ladies that were working it. I was like, okay, at the end of the night, can I get a selfie? And uh, I'm like, but I love Bernie. I just want to get like a Pete selfie again, you know? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, then they started like fighting amongst themselves. There were two of them because I guess the one girl liked Bernie and like was previously a Bernie fan and had like talked about like supporting Bernie in this race. And it was just hilarious because like 
just watching our movement vibe sort of like uh, so dissent among the other camps after what had just happened in that room, which was all the dorky candidates acted like dorks and all their dorky fans, uh, you know, did minimal applause. And then a absolute gangster of the revolution came out and people freaked the fuck out. And it was actually a real raw, actual vibe in the room. It was yeah. just, I mean, everything came up burning in New Hampshire. And the only reason that other candidates came close is because they squeaked by on this bullshit early state advertising. I mean, it's a circus mm-hmm. out there. The state is literally full of people from out of state, from all the camps. Of course, mainly Bernie because we have just so many fucking volunteers. And, and that's a criticism I heard all week is, oh, you just like, you guys are all just from out of town. Like, oh, that's a reason. Well, like, yeah, Bernie it's has almost so many people like here. there are people all over the country who care about how this race is going to shape up. It's and almost a million of Americans. These early states are, standing- are important. Exactly. And so we come together and like it it's about that. I, I ran about- the math on that, and apparently at one point there were there was one of y'all out of state volunteers on the ground for every four hundred and forty seven New Hampshire people <laughs> living in New Hampshire. We need out. a word like Iowans for New Hampshireans yeah, for New Hamp- or whatever. I don't know what to call all New week Hampshire I people. all week I fucking stumbled on that same what, what you just did. Themselves? I'm like uh, the fine know. working people of New Hampshire. Yeah, I don't know. New, <laughs> New Hampshireites. We'll have to. We'll Google this and, and like, look. We had the same problem in Indiana. Okay, we overcame it. We're Hoosiers. Get oh, Hoosiers! Perfect. I was going to say Indianans. That's uh-huh. who's your daddy. <laughs> it's funny. Uh, yes, yeah, that joke has been made a million times. I was going to say I have a weird side story. I'm not even going to tell it because this audience <laughs> will just think I'm weird. I'll tell you some other time. Uh, the who's your joke? Um, but Do you anyway. Yeah, well, debrief. Exactly. At this point, I was thinking you and I would take a live uh, call or two from friends or fans of the show who want to get on and talk to us about their thoughts and feelings about the race. So um, give me just a sec here. I'm going to hit a button and we are going to try to bring uh, Lily on the call. So hang on one sec. So we do have um, Lily on the phone. We have Lily Violet, who is uh, a co-administrator of the Bernie Sanders Dank Meme Stash, as well as uh, the Dank Hose for Bernie, both amazing Facebook meme groups that everybody should join. If you're not already, Lily, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me on here. Welcome, queen. Oh, my God, you're the queen. (laughs) Y'all are both actually No, you. No, (laughs) Emily, you were like my icon. Oh my god! Look, that's why that's why we're all here is because I'm such an Emily fan girl. Like I was oh literally my god. like both of you. Okay, we should stop. I'm but quitting. She's, but she's she's hilarious as fuck. That's the thing. Like, um, an Emily Connor fan club Facebook page. Okay, Jesus if Christ. I can only if I can be moderator or at least editor, but hopefully co administrator. Yeah, we'll we'll co admin it. Lit. I'm broke. I'm breaking up with all of you. <laughs> You can't oh, we're single. Matter. We're single in time for Valentine's Day. This is <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Lily, thanks so much for joining us again. Lily Violet, we've brought her here because we want to hear her take on the primary uh, in New Hampshire. We want to hear her take on her time in the ground in Iowa, as she was she was part of my FOMO. Was that I didn't get to hang out at the round table with my fellow knights of King Arthur's Bernie court. Um, so Lily, if you want, if you're comfortable, you can just take it away. Tell us about, tell us about Iowa and, and how it was and how you feel about the results and, and bring us to New Hampshire and just give us your vibe from the street. Yeah. So I took a week off of school to come to Iowa. I was in a different part than Emily was in. I was in a really rural town in Northern Iowa. It was Kasuth County and like Clear Lake, 
Um, it was a pretty interesting experience. I mean, I ran one of the caucuses. Our lady, our chair, had no idea what was going on. Um, so when all of the caucus voting fiasco happened with the app, um, my precinct was actually reported incorrectly. So that was not fun. Yikes. Oh, I thought this just closed out my computer, like, logged out of the screen. But, um, yeah, Iowa, and then going into New Hampshire, just the biggest thing that I've seen is that centrists don't know how to unify. <laughs> um, I mean, like, we saw how it was before Iowa. Everyone was pushing Joe, and then we get Pete in Iowa, and then they're like, oh, maybe not either of these. And then Amy gets her little bump going into New Hampshire, and it's been yep. just a few days, and no one's talking about her. It's all about Bloomberg, both positive from the establishment and negative from everyone else. How do these people who just mindlessly follow this goofy-ass party feel okay with all of this? Because, Lily, you just gave a brilliant summation of where the, the momentum, the Joe-mentum, the Clobe-mentum, and now I guess the Blue-mentum? I don't fucking know. I can't keep track of all these goofy-ass momentums because there's just too many of them. It's, like, where's... All, their only message is Trump is bad. They don't have any mm -hmm. platform to stand on. They don't have any anything that unites people of color, other marginalized groups, the working class, typical non-voters. And like I had a conversation with someone on Facebook who straight up said, I would rather vote for a racist Democrat, an openly racist Democrat, than vote for Donald Trump, even if that means your life as a woman of color would still be bad. Because Jesus Trump Christ. is bad. Because Essentially Trump violence. Yeah, and it's like I get that. We no one is saying we want Trump in office. But getting him out and replacing him with Trump 2.0 isn't going to change anything. I mean, how long the white have privilege they... resistance has logged on. Mm -hmm. Right. And how long have the, has this party machine ransomed us away from a good candidate and a, and a viable fucking future for ourselves by simply saying, you must entrust us to do what's best to defeat our Republican opponents. We are better than them, Just even if just barely uh, side with us or face your utter demise. And we haven't done that. And as Emily and I were discussing earlier this episode, they seem to just continually double down and go all in and, and put all their bets on diverging away from the progressive cause as much as they can. It seems like they're going further from what they need to do to unify the party than getting closer to it, especially with, as you described, this constantly shifting support and momentum from the party because we all know the party fucking controls what the press pushes <laughs> as momentum. What the people perceive as momentum is nothing more than a narrative which is pushed by the press and orchestrated by the party establishment, the moneyed party uh, influencers. So, Well, I think and beyond that, we don't even have to imply direct coordination between the party and media, even though we've seen um, examples of that happening, sure. because they're coming from the same uh, place. They're both in the, the upper class. They're both in the money class. Yeah. They, both have, they both stand to lose something if progressives and the working class gain a real foothold in our democracy. So their natural instinct That's right. um, in both cases is to protect entrenched power, it's to minimize progressives, it's to try to smear, I mean, as we're seeing, this, these attacks on Bernie's support base have amped up to a marked extent recently. Why? Because they're realizing that we have power. 
They're realizing that there are so many of us and we are effective and we know how to use the tools at our disposal to do an end run around their machinations. And they're waking up to that and they're freaking out and hitting the panic button and doing everything they can to um, dismiss us as toxic bullies. We have Chuck Todd calling us. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you you keep going. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Calling us brown shirts, calling the supporters of a Jewish candidate who lost a branch of his family tree to the Nazis, who literally had his family herded into a ditch in Poland and shot by Nazis. And he's calling that candidate's support base brown shirts. Right. And, and there's been examples of that from ranging from as mild as Chris Matthews saying Bernie Sanders wouldn't help you change a fucking tire or, or whatever, <laughs> all the way to this brown shirt narrative. And, and I mean, equally absurd, maybe not equally offensive, um, but just showing us that there is absolutely nothing these media hacks won't do. And speaking of the word hack, how about fucking Bernie on that? Comment? Oh, can we have a round of applause for President ah, King, King, Sanders. King, King Sanders? Wow, King. my dude said, my dude said he is a political hack. Oof, my man is a little bit kid glove. The kid gloves are not off, but they are down. The, the kid mittens. Uh, are getting pulled off that mighty fucking hand because my man's about to get real, I think. And I think if I if my estimations are correct, I think that he's going to be a little bit emboldened, um, not in a bad way, but by these recent victories. Um, and he's going to give us a little bit of our own little bit ver- a version of red meat. You know, these yeah. conservatives and establishment dickheads get to do their red meat. I want to see Bernie get, you know, no pun intended, a little red meet here and and give us a little bit of hard socialist rhetoric a la AOC and these others who have been a little bit emboldened lately. Um, I would love to see it. I'm here for it. And I think that goes both ways. I think it's a little bit of a feedback loop because the these victories in Iowa and New Hampshire, like we did that. That was us. We we hardcore mobilized. We were out there hitting the ground in a way that nobody else could even compete with. And we pulled that off for Bernie. And now we're yeah. the reason that he has this little little bit of extra swagger in his step and yeah. is able to, you know, flex some muscle now because he has a mandate and he's yeah. and he is going up in the polls as much as Bloomberg is, which terrifies me. Bernie is too. And that is yeah. so we're encouraging him. We are proving to him that we are here and we have his back and he can count on us, show up. And same, he's doing the same for us by coming out hard, coming out swinging, yeah. and calling it like it is. Yep. 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 Him calling out Pete a few times, like in different interviews and during the debate and in his victory speech for New Hampshire. Him, fine. Like Bernie is definitely not the type of guy to play dirty, and he's never played dirty, but he's being honest now and he's being a little bit more aggressive which is honestly really great to see because we've earned it. We've earned the right Hmm. to have our voices heard, to after attack after attack and just pointless smears and everything that the media has done and people on Twitter have done and different pundits have said, we never get to do anything back without being labeled as mean Bernie bros or an online (laughs) dude or the Trump but on the Democratic side. But now we finally have earned our spot to call people out. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love uh, you mentioned the debate he did. Uh, you know, he said, not all of us have over 40 billionaires, Pete. 
supporting our campaign. And it was like, you know, it was like, it's like when you're like yelling at your sibling or something. Oh, yep. oof, I was so fucking oh, about yeah. it. I was like, you, you threw little, him right again. under that bus. Right. That's a new, uh, that's kind of a new thing. Before it would be this ambiguous comment about Hillary, right? And now that there's all these idiots on the stage, we have to actually qualify which corrupt dickhead uh -huh. we're talking about. <laughs> just amazing. And you can just Loved see how shocked they get when he finally comes out of his cage and calls them out. Like Pete, who's oh, yeah. super scripted all the time, robotic CIA little man who never knows how to defend himself without talking points. And you can see him physically like get uncomfortable. His facial expressions change. He starts playing with his fingers. He is he visibly grips his hand all tight, right? He yeah. clenches his jaw and he's like, how do I respond to that without lying? Yeah. I just want to fit in, I think is the Patrick Bateman quote that springs to mind. I, I just think we need to unify around the... Uh, Help me out here. I'm I'm running out of platitudes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the, well, this, the 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 strength of our democracy is in the integrity of our voice. Look, look. The strength of our people is unity, and in that are you doing unity, the thumb thing? We will find the soul of the American people, and that's a people that are ready, ready for what you may ask to move forward into a new day where we don't tolerate indiscretions against our democracy and what do we need we need someone who can govern govern the people what people you ask the american people just god hey Pete like staffers out there who are done. maybe sympathetic and just really needed that check i feel you if you could just do me a solid and sneak <laughs> we live in a society into one of pete's speeches Please give me it. You will be a the hero meme, for the ages. The, uh, the general internet will thank you endlessly. Not even just the hyper-specific Bernie Sanders meme community, which is actually largely represented on this podcast. No, you will become an icon overnight. But the greater internet would really, really thank you for that. Just, just please, please do it. Um, we'll make it worth Lily. your while. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we're now offering bribes on the Burn After Listening podcast. I didn't say bribe. Uh, excuse me. Oh, I did. I don't think I it would hold up in a court. Well, maybe you did. <laughs> Hey, if uh, Bloomberg does it. Yeah, yeah speaking right. of. Oof, yeah, I thought, I thought Bloomberg was fine. I thought corporations were people. And aside from corporations, he's like buying off the fuck Jerry dorks. Like, what is his issue? Why he's does buying he everybody up. He was paying little children on Instagram to advertise yeah. him. Like 14-year-olds. That is not okay. I mean, no bribery is okay, but bribing children who can't even meaningfully like, participate in this political yeah. process people who can't even vote and they yeah. don't know better because they're kids yeah. right i say of we course. find their guardians and initiate a large class action suit yeah this is child abuse <laughs> it really is it is um, it's electoral child abuse sorry willie i want to thank you uh on behalf of the po uh, the podcast and our audience uh, for joining us and i want to ask if you just want to maybe take us out with any final thoughts even if it's totally unrelated to the election um part of us as a bernie movement is not only do we come together on politics but we're the sort of movement that once we leave the event we also still like our friends and want to hang out with each other it's not just about toasting martinis and learning about how to figure out clever ways to oppress the poor for one more generation it's smoking cigars in a back other. room while we decide who our nominee right. is going to be right. we're more like passing the joint yeah, no, no, we're not smoking cigars in the wine cave. We're passing the joint, speaking of, magic <laughs> fucking moment from New Hampshire. 
after the Strokes concert, when thousands of super stoned and uh, pumped up <laughs> college students filed out of this place, the what happened was, and you saw this on Twitter, there were literally hundreds of fucking kids, myself included, big 37-year-old kid, sliding around in the fucking ice, singing, dancing, laughing, again, smoking pot, it, it happens out there. <laughs> Um, and just being being together and not wanting the night to end. And that's that's what this is all about. And and I bring this up because again, we're friends. This is and the future the liberals movement, want. <laughs> part of our movement is we allow our bond and our relationship together to extend beyond the sheerly political. And that frankly gives mm. us strength. The way that we bond over um uh, you know, body positivity in the Bernie Sanders, uh, the Dankos mm -hmm. for Bernie group, the way that we bond over general humor and just general existence being a bunch of loose peers on the internet. And we do it outside of politics. And I just think that's so unique and important to our movement. And it shows that our lifeblood is our lives. It's not our political lives. It's not some stunt where we go to fundraising parties. It's life. So anyway, uh, on that note, my intention here was to turn the mic over to Lily for, for any kind of closing statement she wanted to make, even if it was to tell us what bands she's listening to. But, but, but you know, hopefully maybe there's some kind of uh, political note to it all. And thanks again for joining us, Lily. Um, Play us out, Queen. Yeah, Take us out of here. I just want to say this movement, I mean, this is the first presidential primary and election that I'm actually eligible to participate in. So being able to meet all of these people and be on these online platforms and go to Iowa and be a precinct captain and knock doors here in California and back home in Oklahoma has been amazing. But I mean, you brought up music and I think that's pretty ironic because some of the other admins on the Dank Meme Stash, I didn't meet through politics. I met when I was 14 years old because of punk music. We were all little baby punk rockers and met at a music festival, met on Facebook and Instagram, but we never actually met in person until a Bernie rally in Iowa. <sighs> I think it's really awesome. Yeah. I've been saying this, guys. I'm, I'm again, I'm 37. I was at Woodstock 99. Um, I've been oh, a you fan old. of music. I'm old as shit. And I, not only am I old, I've been a fan of music. My first concert was 1989. I was six years old. I saw Bon Jovi because my aunt and my cousins knew I loved it. And I, I couldn't pronounce my R's yet, but I could, you know, shot through the halt. Uh, you give love a bad name. And I was there. So I've been into the rock and roll ever since then. I've had all the hairstyles. I've had all the hair colors. I've had all the hair lengths. I play music. I've been in bands. I've toured. I've gone on tours with bigger bands. I've done it all when it comes to rock and roll and the culture associated with. And I will say, you know, normally I don't like to brag, but I, I've fucking been a guy in the music scene for a long ass time. And there's a spirit of rock and roll that doesn't live in the music at all. It lives in the prevalent culture that surrounds the music. Mm -hmm. And and what we've done with the Sanders movement in the heart and soul of it, in the spirit of it, in the long line surrounding these events, in the way we all come together and coalesce and help each other and we'll give each other the shirt off the back without the media there, without the cameras running, is the spirit and the heart and soul of rock and roll. We've taken it back. We, we are the closest thing to a counterculture that mm -hmm. exists in this country. And uh, we need to embrace that. We need to yeah. come together and continue to recognize that even though it's politics that has us here in this moment um we're we're a culture that is bigger than that and i love i love 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 that some of these other admins 
and you have been connected through music because I'm totally citing this in my big dissertation about this fucking topic. Bernie Sanders stole rock and roll from the corporations and they Bernie fucking Bernie Sanders' met. campaign is the punk rock campaign. It's not. It's, it's, it's undeniable. I think, Emily, you saw it at that bar that we canvassed in, in Iowa, the Joe Biden punk rock Oh like no one showed up to and i'm just the like sex it was pistols rip off poster one, and i found their twitter and it's like a legit thing and it's like how can you oh, claim no. joe biden is punk rock when bernie here has musicians from all sorts of backgrounds not just supporting him but holding massive rallies for him and you can't get one person to show up to a bar well, not only that, but, yeah. like, Bernie's history with the punk scene goes back. Yeah. I mean, he was... Oh, the Burlington they, shit they, was nuts. Yeah, in Burlington, yes. Bernie yes. was the one that overturned the ordinance that said that they couldn't have um, concerts downtown. He did that specifically for the youth. And yep. he and his future wife, Jane Sanders, whoa! Um, absolute goddess. Absolute babe of the revolution. I mean, they opened that venue, um, 242 Main. Mm -hmm. um, downtown, which was basically a place where like all of these bands came that weren't famous yet. Fugazi, Misfits, yep. Operation Ivy, Agnostic Front. Like they all came and played at this place. And the point was, this is somewhere anybody can come. And all of these kids who would otherwise probably be hanging out with, you know, not great influences, um, who didn't have any money could come and hear awesome music and hang out and take their dates there and oh and that God. was bernie that was what bernie brought to burlington so yeah he is uh, indisputably the punk rock candidate it's yeah. mock pits for the revolution it for is sure. and the stroke <laughs> show was was proof that and actually i i am i'm gonna uh leak a little secret here one of our upcoming guests is going to be arun chawthry who was the uh first videographer he was the first first videographer of the united states he was a obama campaign staffer he was the new media director for the obama campaign uh, the first time around, he was appointed as the first first videographer. I think JFK created the office of first photographer or maybe one president before him. And Obama created the office of first videographer as technology sort of morphed and evolved. Arun so will that. we see Bernie create the office of first meme department? First meme. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That is the most brilliant. Emily, that is why you're the absolute queen, because, yes, we are going to fucking see that for sure. Um, Arun resigned. first, folks. <laughs> she seriously just called it. Oh my God, Bernie, you have to do it. Um, Arun resigned from his White House post and took a like uh, a position with this uh, then upstart company, Revolution Messaging, which was hired by the Sanders campaign. And Arun served as the uh, 2016 Digital Creative Director. So he was he was the meme king for the uh, for the Sanders campaign for a while. This guy though, and I have a fucking super unique and awesome history. He was in a punk band called I Farm, and they fucking dominated my local scene because I live in a town called Owego, which is like twenty miles from Ithaca, which has Cornell University, and Arun, you know, kind of a kind of. You know, I mean, I don't mean to call you out, Arun, but you come from very, you know, he comes from money. He's from Chappaqua, Hillary Clinton's hometown. Was up at Ithaca as an undergrad, but as a gnarly punk punk fucking rocker had this sick band and they were sweet enough to come play a show that me and my friends held to raise money to build a skate park in my town which still stands and kids skate what? at which is nearly fuck. so my man was in the band right who came and played when i was a little kid organizing and I'll, and emily remind me i'm going to send you this article that i have this jpeg of this old ass article of me as a little fucking 12 year old little gangster organizer um <laughs> my man came and played the show and then years and years and years later i ended up meeting him and like through bernie he was given like a filmmaker's workshop and i was like whoa bernie filmmaker's workshop so i went to this thing and it was him and i'm like wait you're a run like sick you're a run farm 
for my farm like oh shit so anyway this dude is like super 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 punk rock legit um we're gonna we have him as a guest actually on an upcoming show um i'm not sure when because as of right now he's in rome um working on some kind of uh, sardine party correct me if i'm wrong he is a master of world politics and he works all kinds of for he just got done working a race in kosovo for like four or five months my man's all over so he's going to be on the show soon and when he's on we're going to talk specifically and maybe let's bring lily back on for that about punk rock oh, in yeah. the bernie movement oh, God, i, I would love should... that all right cool we're definitely going to do that um run if you're listening and you're going to be because i'm going to make you listen to this Hey, we should see if we can get time. um, what's his name? Because he's not the only one adjacent to to Bernie that's that's got that background. Um, isn't um, Armand his a uh, Bernie senior media producer? He was in a band too, wasn't he? Punk band. What? Mm-hmm. Really? Well, we've got oh, to yeah. do that. And actually, uh, New York City Councilman Justin Brannon was in some kind of hardcore band before he, and he's a big Bernie. He's one of the five or six New York City politicians who uh, early endorsed, endorsed Bernie. So it looks like shit. Cool we people. might be, yeah, we might be doing like, we might be just making this a punk rock podcast featuring Bernie and not the other way around soon. Um, yeah, I'm canvassing um, or quasi canvassing at the Earth Crisis, like reunion concert in San Francisco mm-hmm. next week. So all the OG hardcore grandpas and i'm gonna bring all my bernie stuff ah i love old punk rockers they're so great they're, they they've totally always got fair. our backs yeah they're crusty and they're musty but they know how to get it done <laughs> <laughs> lily thanks so much for joining us we yeah, uh we have one so more much. we have one more remote guest we're gonna bring on the show quick and uh emily and i are gonna call this but we're definitely gonna come back for the punk rock episode with a run and with lily and uh, i'm really looking forward to that thank you so much for all you're doing all you've done thanks for being uh soldiering out on the on the streets of iowa with emily and so many of our other comrades thanks for running the, the meme sites and just keeping everything super legit online sister we appreciate you thanks for being I love on the you show both so much you are amazing love you we'll lily thank love you, you. <laughs> Okay, uh, joining us here, we have Akeem Harding, who is uh, on the phone with myself and Emily and is going to pipe in here with his takes about the uh, Iowa caucus, the New Hampshire primary, uh, the Democratic opposition in the field, and moving forward. Akeem, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the broadcast. Yes. So, Akeem, if you want to give us a start, uh, you want to give us a brief history of your involvement uh, your, your bio and, um, what we're doing in this primary. So I am a photographer. I recently, um, got into photographing the different campaigns. So I've been really involved, um, because not just photographing the campaigns, I actually have to be there and listen to what each candidate is um, speaking about. My first campaign that I, Photograph was Bernie Sanders' campaign in Brooklyn, New York, um, at my school, my alma mater, uh, Brooklyn College. Oh, fuck. I was there for the launch rally in uh, March of last year. Amazing school. Sorry to pipe in, but wow. Was it February of last year? (laughs) It was March. I can't believe that was a year ago. Okay. No, I literally literally have the uh, volunteer pass framed on my wall. It was March 2nd. I'm that much of a dork. looking at it right well now. yeah it was a very cold march 2nd so it was um i think it was snowing that day but yeah snowy so as I, shit yes. yes so i did that um i also have photographed the uh elizabeth warren campaign i also did the andrew yang campaign um 
so far. Yeah, nice. Those are the only ones that I've done, but I've also um, been up to date with what is happening because <laughs> my future rests on the Democrats getting their act together. So um, yes, that's that's what I've done. Awesome. Great. So um, as far as where we stand now with the Iowa caucus being a bit shadowy, uh, pun very much intended, and with the much uh, less indecisive victory in New Hampshire, uh, Akeem, how do you see the next few primaries shaking out? Where do you see the momentum at? And how do you feel about Mike Bloomberg's seeming, uh, you know, uh, sponsored propulsion possibly toward the top of the pack. How do you feel about all that moving forward? I feel after seeing the results in Iowa and seeing the results in New Hampshire, I feel that there's everyone's like, you know, anxious to get Donald Trump out of the office. That's like our main goal. But I feel like everyone's a little bit too, um, what's the word? A little bit too forward and being like, oh, this is the front runner. No, this is, you know, this one's losing track. Like everyone, sure. you know, this one should drop out because they're, you know, they came in third place or whatever. Um, I I think it's anyone's game by now. Um, there are definite, what are there, like 48 more states <laughs> to vote. So I think yeah. um, there's, I think by March 3rd, that's when we'll definitely see who is um, Super Tuesday. Who's actually going to, you know, take, take it. <laughs> and, and run with it. Um, well, it certainly is an unconventional race for sure. Just the the shifting and, and reshuffling we've seen. Yeah, and so many candidates, including you know s- some candidates that I'm sure the Democratic Party thought were going to be their 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 breakout stars, mm-hmm. and just watching them dwindle away to nothing and, and disappear off the map. And I'm sure that was a surprise to them. People like uh, Kamala Harris, probably mm-hmm. Cory Booker to an extent. Yeah, I feel that um, in the way, like after traveling around to different countries um, in the past month and coming back here, it's interesting how uh, news in America, they like everyone likes to speculate and everyone likes to have an opinion. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. You know, on who's going to do what. And at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know who's who it's going to be. You know, I have a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters who are like, yeah, you know, he's definitely going to gonna take it. I'm like, okay, there's still states that need to oh we're definitely not taking anything for granted yes so um that's that's what i've noticed is just like you know you read the the you know and and it's funny how they um try to strategically i remember when um the the new hampshire results came out and like around three in the morning they're like oh you know klobuchar's in the lead i'm like it's three in the morning (laughs) yeah maybe 20 people have casted their votes so far like you know it's i think it was eight was the big joke on Twitter was that there was eight eight votes or something? Uh, she, something was ahead like by, she was ahead by eight votes. That's what. Oh, I okay, ahead by eight. My mistake. Ah, yeah. yes, yes. She okay, was ahead by eight votes. So I was like, yeah, that's the, this is the twenty four. I I think this is the problem because it's the twenty four hour news cycle. It's literally as yeah. people wake oh, up. Oh, it's a it's plague. The it's the first thing that they're you know doing and interacting with, and I, right yeah, before they go fixation. to bed, they try to get the last tweet out or the last you know, post out. So I feel like everyone should just take a breath. I think they should be banned from even covering it for like a a certain, I don't know, maybe 24 hours, maybe 12, something like that. But we, we, and this is actually an issue that we saw in the last primary is where the media was in fact influencing the voter turnout because of how, you know, much they were jumping the gun and reporting on it. We had the AP calling the race for Clinton before the polls had even opened in California, if I recall correctly. Oh, wow. And th- 
that's a problem. It's a problem when our media is so obsessed with the horse race and can think of nothing better to cover or nothing better to do with its time that they, they, you know, they're, they're practically creating as much drama as they're actually covering. Yeah, it is an exciting time, but, um, I can only take it in doses. Like there's times I have to like log off of Facebook and log off of all the YouTube and all the different media outlets just to like, you know, because the media, especially now with Bloomberg, like every, you know, people are like, oh, I can't even turn on the TV in my state without, you know, seeing something from Bloomberg. So being inundated yeah. with Bloomberg ads. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah. um, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, the, you know, the black vote is going to go to Bloomberg. It's like, let's, let's wait and see yeah. how black people actually vote before we like jump the gun and be like, oh, they're, they're rushing Seriously. to Bloomberg. So, yeah. you know, so I feel like I'm, I'm liking that he is in the race. I feel like he's taking, um, fire away from the Pete Buttigieg crowd and the and the Biden crowd and even maybe the Klobuchar crowd. Um so sure. I do I do like that he's splitting up that moderate vote. <laughs> I don't yeah, think No, that's definitely a, that's actually an interesting take. I mean, most people see him enter the race and they're just utterly repulsed morally by him and 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 find him just repulsive and rightfully so, but I think in a strategic way, uh any anything he can siphon away from Buttigieg while still remaining a non-serious competitor is, of course, uh, you know, a, a good thing for for the progressive side of the ticket. Which may I add, and may I comment, we haven't spoken about this candidate really much at all uh, because, frankly, her candidacy is becoming less and less pertinent by the day. But I think Liz Warren's supporters have been in a in a very serious state of purgatory recently, mm-hmm. and I don't know how the uh, Bloomberg announce well not I guess not, not the announcement excuse me but how the blue the bloom momentum that seems to be happening in the media and in the DNC circles uh, will affect Liz's supporters because as we all know for several months the idea has been that Sanders and Warren are the progressive candidates unified behind a uh, seemingly approximately similar ticket, or at least one camp or would so have benefited from that assumption. Sure. One one camp would have particularly benefited from the assumption that we were loose moral equivalents. Yeah. Uh, now that same camp seems to be um, uh, quiet as they face distant third and fourth place finishes in, in repeat primary contests. And I'm very eager to see where their support will go <laughs> if uh, the the Liz Warren momentum does not pick up, um, you know, much like the Yang gang, it's a, it's a huge block of allegedly progressive voters, a lot of great woke folks that we want to score up into our movement. Um, and I think it's interesting and it'll be interesting to see where they go. Yeah. I think more, um, Elizabeth Warren supporters would actually, like I've, I've talked to a lot of Yang supporters and, um, I don't know if they were living in La La Land <laughs> for all this time, but a lot of them are like, "Oh, I'm so distraught that he's not got, that he's not in the race. I'm I'm just oh, gonna sit this one out." And I'm just like, I, "And this is, has this has been from multiple Yang supporters." So I hope that oh. um, as Super Tuesday comes on, um, those who registered to vote continue to take yes. the primary process seriously. I have a lot of friends who are like, well, I'll just wait and see who the nominee is. I'm like, this is not how this is not a primary to sit work. out. <laughs> yeah. So, that Well, that's um, funny. It's, you know, I, folks who are, you know, less involved than myself for many years, you figure, 
the primary is like a just a less significant version of the general, right? Is what you think, but really you're you you are weighing you are putting your finger on the scales so 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 much more heavily in the primary election uh, in many cases than you are in the general, mm-hmm. as you are choosing your candidate. It, it, you get two rounds of participation in this in this democracy thing, folks. You know, the first round is who am I putting up? The second round is can my person beat the opponent. So that first round is not to be neglected. And and I think Akeem, you know, that's, uh, you speak to something that's very important. The primary process mm-hmm. is something that can't be ignored, or you end up with a poor candidate, and you end up with poor turnout, and you end up with, uh, with uh, loss after loss in these general contests. Well, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, a lot of people very rightly uh, would make the, the complaint um, that usually the two candidates that they are offered um, in the general election, supposedly representing two different political parties, are very often more or less the same. Same old, same old, status quo, no matter yeah. which way you go. And many people do not feel inspired to turn out and vote for that. And it's like, okay, but the answer to that is to show up at the early stage where your voice could have had an impact. And if you don't yes. do that, don't be surprised if sort of the boring, uninspiring moderate with all the money made their way to the top of the pack and became yeah. one of your two options. And and people constantly make the argument, if you don't vote, I don't want to uh, hear your complaints or whatever. And I won't get into the new yeah. nuances of that. But I will say that, uh, you know, frankly, it's more important to participate in the primary where you get to choose those candidates. And, and you know, I mean, that's where you really set up your moral ground. Uh, the general, you're expecting to have a candidate you agree with and one you don't, I think. And, and you're and also expected to support that candidate without question, um, yes. which is obviously morally a bit problematic. But, you know, yes, the primary is the time when you actually have a chance to make your preference uh, known and, and when it's acceptable to do so, or, you know, supposedly. Um, yeah. Not that we're not seeing when they, pressure. When they give us a, right, a little more leeway <laughs> yeah. to actually be ourselves. Yeah, now it would um, probably I mean, be, uh, it would behoove a lot of Democratic uh, voices right now to be reminded that that is the point of a primary election. But yes. Yeah, we're getting close to that point where you and I are going to be screaming blue no matter who from every single hilltop we can Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I cannot wait. Um, Akeem, I uh, wanted to now give you the floor if you wanted to make uh, some commentary of any kind. And frankly, it's 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 a movement where it's about friendship as much as it's about political activism and involvement. So just anything you want to do, say, uh, we're giving you the floor before we sign off here and we end the episode want to thank you for joining us and uh it's all yours all right well i i would say as a person who didn't really take the 2016 election seriously i um i've learned from my grave mistake so i hope you know i as time goes on and as we pick a candidate i um hope to energize and to get my fellow young people out to vote as much as i can because this is not the time to be playing around <laughs> with, yep, nope. you know, it's not. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I, you know, a lot of people, <laughs> they, they say, oh, you know, what are you doing? You're just posting statuses. Like, no, 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 you're, I'm out there. I'm going to mm. rallies. I'm documenting what's happening. I'm getting the word out there. I'm making sure even family members, you know, get to vote and get registered. Cause yeah. you know, a lot of us, we don't care. We're like, oh, the deadline is, February 18th. It's like, yes, if you plan on voting in California, it's February 18th. So let's, let's get it done. So yep. yeah. doing the Lord's awesome. work, doing the yep. Lord's work. That's what I'm trying yep. to do. 
<laughs> of course. Well, thank you for your wonderful contributions to this great contributions to this greater movement that we have. Um, and thanks for appearing on the show with us. We uh, this is the first time we've taken any call in guests, so it was great to have both Lily and Akeem with us uh, tonight. And this is something we'll do again in the future. Um, we we are going to have a run three on a, a forthcoming episode as an interviewee, and we will probably take call in guests on every show. I would say going forward. Uh, as it's been a great experience and a great way to bond with some of our friends in the movement that we normally uh, may only get to see uh, digitally. Uh, so it's nice to to hear your voice, Akeem, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very and, much. Uh, yeah, we'll bring you back on the show at a later time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, thank Akeem. Bye-bye. Well, thank you so much, Akeem. It was really good to hear from you. It was so good to hear Lily on here too. Yes. I am very much in favor of this thing where we bring other people in to talk to us too because – not that I get tired of your dulcet tones, Stephen, but <clears throat> mine um, certainly. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> no, it was great. It's great to have friends of ours that we, uh, you know, very we have normally very limited face time and limited voice time. So it's it's really amazing to uh, bring people onto the show. We're going to continue to do it as we uh, grow and build out the podcast. We're going to do different fun things to keep everybody, uh, you know, listening to what we have to say. Hell yes. Well, I did want to just um, one last thing that I discovered recently that have just blew me away that I thought I'd share really quick. Um, just as we as we watch this race shaping up into this um, very likely showdown between you know the the people's candidate and uh, the billionaire, uh, yes. both in the primary and in the general, um, <laughs> I, I stumbled upon this uh, the other day while I was looking for something else and. Um, I, I had heard recently a blip in the, the sort of the Bernie uh, you know, internet world about this, but I hadn't actually like gone and, and looked into it. But I stumbled on this quote. Now, the, the speaker, I'll just say, is Bernie Sanders, of course. Um, but, well, I'll just read the quote to you. And I want you to uh, tell me who you think he is talking about. Nice. So the quote says, right. He says um, it, the, the context was he was talking to some, uh, some 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 supporters of a candidate. It says he came, it says I came away with two basic feelings. First, the democracy in America just might not make it. My mind flashed to scenes of Germany in the late 1920s: confusion, rebellion, frustration, economic instability, a wounded national pride, ineffectual political leadership. And the mm. desire for a strong man who would do something, who would bring order out of the chaos. Their attraction to him goes well beyond the issues. They see in him a man who is standing up to the establishment, a tough guy fighting for them. They admire his courage and his straightforwardness. He comes right out and says what he feels. Yeah. And that's the end of the quote. Wow. Now, who who would you assume Bernie is talking about here? Yeah, you know, I don't know. What do you think? A tough guy who says what he feels. <laughs> Very tough. Yeah. Yeah. Who From who attracts the- voters who are confused, uh, weighed down by economic instability, frustrated, or you know, sure. I mean, sick of the seen, establishment. We've seen historic examples of this uh, prototype, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout, echoing so, throughout the age. Definitely ages. sounds like we're talking about Trump supporters here. I would say. You know, and I'm. Uh, this is I'm, Bernie Sanders. Talking after having done a series of interviews with supporters yeah. of George Wallace in 1972. Wow. Who was the, uh, he was a segregationist. The his- 
Give us the historic, was, yeah, reminder there, yeah. Emily, if you he, would. Sure. So this this uh, quote came from a Brattleboro uh, reformer article, if I'm saying any of that correctly, in 1972. And mm-hmm. and it came to my attention because basically some people were trying to find anything they could find on Bernie, of course, and they're scraping barrel bottom. And they thought that at some point he was actually praising George Wallace. That was not, in fact, the case. He was the segregationist <laughs> governor of Alabama. Yeah, and was, what uh, Bernie was Sanders was doing... In Forrest Gump, for all the people that are loosely my age, he was the one who <laughs> uh, was the one who Forrest. You remember Forrest picked up the book. Uh, the young girl dropped her book. The young African American woman who was entering the school as one of the first black students to do so. Uh, Wallace was, of course, the racist segregationist governor that appeared in that bit of brilliant uh, footage. Anyway, thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Oh yeah, so we have a segregationist governor of the state of Alabama, and. So the, 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 the question sort of on a lot of people's minds was, you know, how did he, how was he successful in getting elected? You know, it's where at this point we're just on the heels of the civil rights movement. And, and we have this racist guy gets elected to office and Bernie basically is trying to suss out what is going on here. What is, what, what are the factors that are enabling someone like this, you know, a, a rather heinous character to attract voters and attract support. And yeah. what he was discovering after doing some interviews with these people is it says he, the article says he traced a general sense of helplessness and lack of public confidence in elected officials to the politicians lack of sensitivity and the fact that the government is not only indebted to special interests, but indentured to them yeah. is what the, the article says about what Bernie's thoughts on, on Wallace. And yeah. You know, and, and Bernie has some very typical Bernie comments to make about people working longer hours for lower wages, living right. in inadequate housing, uh, not having health care. He says, we don't need people fearful of getting sick because of 70 to $80 day, dollar a day hospital bills, of course, you know, adjusted for inflation. Yeah, that's inflation horrendous. We have enough money for a national health service, you know. And I think we're all very used to Bernie being, you know, incredibly consistent. But I just found this particular excerpt oh, yeah. just like insanely – prescient this man is 31 years old at this point in history he's younger than me right now and he's asking the questions no one else is asking and he's trying to determine what's going on below the surface of you know the fact that people like this are are ascending to power and he's tapping uh, into the exact same sense of helplessness and frustration and economic desperation that all this time later absolutely resulted in electing a racist person to federal office, just like happened then. And all I can think is, my God, if we blow a chance to elect someone with such insane, insanely accurate political instincts and the ability to spot the bigger picture and, and, and construct a cohesive narrative out of the chaos and understand yeah. the direction that we were heading in all the way back then. I, yeah. I just, there's no comparison between no. this man's political instincts and uh, just the acuity, yeah. you know, that he assesses things with and, and any, anybody else on the stage right now. That just no. blew my mind because he could have been talking about the supporters of Donald Trump today. Oh, it absolutely sounded, you know, I, it was like almost like a tie between Trump and Hitler. Until I realized Wallace was an actor. <laughs> uh, right. You know, because that was just really, uh, yeah. yeah, really, really poignant, poignant stuff. 
Um, right. And I think Bernie, you know, that I mean, that's why Bern, Bernie Sanders is my hero. Uh, he's he's had uh, profound judgment on on important issues uh, before before I even <laughs> I mean, before I even understood the issues, let alone formed a valid viewpoint, let alone formed what today I consider to be the right viewpoint. Uh, the man and for me before I was born. Right Correct. And, and same here for many years. Um, you know, on the right side of decisions that I was making incorrectly up to five or six years ago in my yeah. current view, uh, this oh, guy, yeah. Bernard Sanders, um, has always made the right choice. Uh, and, and I mean, that's why I've been, I've been paralyzed with joy for, uh, I think, I don't know, slightly over 48 hours now, uh, <laughs> in getting to be close to Bernie two nights in a row and, 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 uh, most recently, you know, having him stop in this in the selfie line, uh, and he wasn't really taking selfies with everybody. You know, not to toot my own, but yeah, in, in a bizarre you got moment, a good picture in, with him. In the, yeah, in the walk by, um, you know, I don't know if it was my shirt, my big New York for Bernie branding or what, but but and we also <laughs> did make eye contact before before he ever stopped by for the for the hello. New York was, squad reunited. Absolutely. I was, I, but I was ready. I was ready to go to the grave about three quarters of the way through the night because he literally made the unmistakable eye contact with me. You know, that, that uh -huh. eye contact when someone just looks at you for a second when mm -hmm. they're speaking, I was ready to go then. I'm even more so. <laughs> if I, you know, if I don't wake up tomorrow, I'm fine. Bernie stopped, grabbed my shoulder, posed for a selfie. Fuck. Damn, you got Ooh. a shoulder grab. My man is just surreal to be around, you know, as you know, from being around him as well. And, you know, in the it's the supreme irony of being, you know, bowled over and, you know, arguably starstruck by someone because they are not a star because they're not because they're they don't behave so like a star committed. because they're genuine, yeah. because they're a real yeah. person. And that contact actually matters oh, because of that. God. They're not just signing everything shoved at them impersonally. You know, if, if Bernie Sanders pays attention to you, that actually means something. Yeah. Yes, of course. Emily, I want to thank you so much for uh, doing another episode of the show. Uh, we'll try to keep this going as, as I've, I think as we've reported to the listeners, um, you have a very busy professional schedule in the near future. Um, myself, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm busy too with a bunch of volunteer stuff and, and my, and my work stuff and my Bernie stuff and all my stuff that I'm juggling, but we are going to keep this podcast going. We are absolutely going to, uh, you know, we whether make or not, away. yeah, whether or not every episode is in, incredibly rife with uh, brilliant moments, we can't guarantee you. But please do subscribe, uh, do stick around, and uh, we'll, we'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks so much, Emily. Um, signing Thank off you, here Steven. from Owego, New York. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll talk to everybody soon. We're gonna take you out with uh, another uh, banger from The Strokes because. Every band should be so rad as to support Bernie with uh, filling filling arenas full of college kids to boost the vote at the last moment. Props Hell to yeah. the Strokes. Props to the Bernie campaign. We'll see y'all next time. Ciao.